Well, hello once again. We are moving along in our sermon series in the book of Hebrews, and the series is titled, Jesus Christ Above All Things. Um, today we have a long passage. We're going to go through all of Hebrews 11 and the first two verses of chapter 12, but we're not going to read them all. I'm going to read verses 1 through 16, 23 through 27, and then skip to verse 39. I think this passage is one that most of us are familiar with. Now, to refresh your memory as to where we are in this letter to the Hebrews, remember our last sermon here was titled, Confidence to Endure. And if you recall, the writer stated the issue at hand when he wrote, For you have need of endurance, so that when you've done the will of God, you may receive what is promised. And also, therefore, do not throw away your confidence, which has a great reward. Today's writer, the writer looks back to the Old Testament heroes and he shows how they, they did not throw away their confidence and how they endured to the end and received their great reward. And my friends, this is for us today as well. It is good for us to see how our faith produces endurance that allows us to press on in victory. But just what is the link between faith and endurance? I'm glad you asked the question. First, Hebrews 11, beginning in verse 1. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was made out of things that um, was not made out of things that are visible. By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain through which he was commended as righteous, God commending him by accepting his gifts. And through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. By faith, Enoch was taken up so that he would not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him, for whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. By faith, Noah, being warned by God concerning the events yet unseen, in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his whole household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of the righteousness that comes by faith. By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance, and he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise, as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive, even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful, who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable sand, sand, grains of sand by the seashore." These all died in faith, not having received the things promised, but having seen them and greeted them from afar, and having acknowledged that they were strangers and exiles on the earth. For people who speak thus make it clear that they're not seeking a homeland, that they are seeking a homeland. If they had been thinking of a land from which they had gone out, they would have had opportunity to return. But as it is, they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, 
for he has prepared for them a city. Skipping on to verse 23. By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Verse 39. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised, since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us they should not be made perfect. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, let us lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely, and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and protector, perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. This is the word of God. The grass withers, the flower fades, but the word of our God will stand forever. If we want to know God, if we want to know his will, if we want to know his way, then we must know his word. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for giving us this glorious word. It's a picture of how your people live here on earth in the already not yet of the kingdom of Christ. It's a hard and messy world, and we are part of it. And yet you, by your grace, give us faith. And by this faith, we're able to endure and please you. Help us to see how this all works, that we may walk out these doors with even greater faith. We pray this in the name of our Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. My friends, what does success look like? I found this on the internet a while back. On one side, you see that success looks like just a constantly straight arrow heading on up uh, to perfection. But then what it really looks like on the other side, it, it looks more like a, an arrow going through a bird's nest. Or another way to look at it is uh, the one on the left looks kind of like an a uncooked spaghetti noodle. And the one on the right looks like a messy pile of cooked spaghetti. In our passage, we read summaries of the lives of men and women from the Old Testament. When you go back and you read their unabridged stories in the Old Testament, you will see that their lives were not characterized by a straight upward line of success, but rather their lives looked more like cooked spaghetti. And yet, in verse 2, we read that their lives were what? Were commendable. And in verse 16, we read that God is not ashamed to be called their God. What a wonderful statement. From a heavenly perspective, their lives were successful, but certainly not from an earthly standpoint. Verse 13 describes them as strangers and exiles on earth. Because of their commitment to God and the eternal hope that they shared, they did not fit in. In their time, the world called them foolish, but God calls them faithful. When you and I read stories of men and women like this, you realize that they, they all lived uniquely different lives, 
but they shared a common denominator. What was it? They lived by faith. 17 times in this passage, I know it's a long passage, but 17 times the phrase by faith is used. By faith they endured to live God-pleasing lives. If you're a Christian here, is it not true you desire to live a God-pleasing life? We desire the straight line of success. But it's also true that because of the frustrations of living in a sin-stained world, and add it to that because of our own sinful failures, our lives are very cooked spaghetti-like. And it can be so difficult to endure. But we have a way to endure, the way of living by faith. The big point this morning is this. It is by faith that we endure with hope. We're going to look at that under four headings. First, the definition of faith. Then the necessity, the desire, and the race. First, the definition of faith. You know, the word faith appears so often in our passage that the author decided to first define it before he elaborated. Verse 1 we read, Now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Now, remember this. When the Bible uses the word hope, it's not often like the way we tend to use the word hope, like I hope to get a new car when I graduate. Sorry, Middlecoff girls, not happening. I hope to get a promotion next year. Right? That's how we tend to use the word hope. But in Scripture, hope is used to describe a future reality that is yet to come. But since it's promised by God, it's God's promise, and he never fails on his promises, what we hope in is certain because it comes from him. Now, the way in which the hope becomes yours is how? By faith. See, it is by faith that you believe in the promises of God, and therefore, what you hope for is something that is now certain. I like how N.T. Wright states it. He says, Faith for Hebrews is always closely linked to hope. Faith is looking at God and trusting in him for everything, while hope is looking at the future and trusting God for it. That's the definition of faith. Now for the necessity of faith. How necessary is faith? It's absolutely necessary. Writing about Moses, J.C. Ryle said, In walking with God, listen, a man will go just as far as he believes. Let me repeat that. In walking with God, A man will go just as far as he believes and no further. His life will always be proportioned to his faith, his peace, his patience, his courage, his zeal, his works. All will be according to faith. In our passage, the writer shows us a number of reasons why faith is necessary. I'm just going to point out two. First, faith is the means by which we experience God's approval. Look at verse 2. For by it, that is, by faith, the people of old received their commendation. Verse 6. And without faith, it is impossible, impossible to please him. This long list of Old Testament 
heroes are commended for how they lived for God in their generations. But it's an important point that we get this right. They were not commended for their long catalog of achievements, but rather they were commended for what? Their faith. When you read their stories, they all experienced great failures. Their lives looked like cooked spaghetti. They were all sinners in need of God's mercy. In each and every case, the one thing that brought God's commendation was their faith. Not their gifts, not their achievements, not their beauty, not their strength or popularity. These are the things that bring commendation in this world. But God commends us for living by faith. And amazingly, think this out. Is it not true? The faith that we're commended for is actually something God gives us. <laughs> Remember Paul's words in Ephesians 2.8, For by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God. How comforting is that for us to know? Your approval from God comes not from how well you stack up with others. God delights in us simply because we believe and our lives are commendable as we, by faith, live out our faith. So first, faith is necessary because only by it do we experience God's approval. The second reason, stating in our passage that, that faith is necessary, is faith gives us understanding. Look at verse 3. <clears throat> by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. The writer here is taking us all the way back to Genesis chapter 1, where we read that everything that exists, God created from nothing. It is by faith we believe God created the universe. It's true, right? None of us were there, right? Oh, mankind has come up with all kinds of different answers for why we're here and as to what the meaning of life is all about. The atheist will say that there's no rational, creative mind behind the universe, but how do they know? An honest atheist will admit that they cannot prove it, and yet atheists believe there is no God. The atheist believes the universe was not created by God, and they cannot prove it. It's interesting when you ask an atheist if he is a man of faith, he will shake his head and make some sort of statement about how he has no need of faith, but he surely does. Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. Listen, the Christian and the atheist both live by faith. The Christian knows this and accepts this. Most atheists don't. When I was an atheist in my 20s, I believed the, that Christians avoided using their intellect. I thought that Christians had to take their brains out and put them on a shelf in order to believe in God. And I was so thankful that I wasn't so naive as to live by faith. I used to believe that Christians had to take this giant leap from the world of reason into the world of faith. That you had to believe blindly, contrary to what all the evidence says. But looking back to those days, I realized that I too was living by faith. Faith in the belief that there is no God. 
Now, sadly, some Christians will say to unbelievers, you just need to take a leap of faith. No, it's not a leap. Nor is it the removal of your brain. Nor is it a blind faith. Listen, if you're an atheist, you didn't come to place your faith in your beliefs overnight. At some point, you started listening to the words of skeptics. You began to value those words and ingest them as your own. And over time, you became settled in your beliefs. You cannot prove there is no God, but you have faith there is no God. The atheist lives by faith in their beliefs. So to the Christian, at some point, she begins listening to the word of God. She begins to value those words and ingest them as her own. And so verse 6 becomes her reality. What does it say? And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists, and he rewards those who seek him. Over time, she becomes settled in her beliefs, and it all came in a way that seems very natural. It was not a leap, nor was it blind faith. So Christians, let us be careful how we describe our journeys to others. That's the necessity of faith. Now let's look at the desire of faith. You know, this time of year, there's a lot of uh, marathons and half marathons. A friend of mine's doing some half Ironman this morning down in Chattanooga. <laughs> Um, it's that time of year. Now, if someone were to ask you, would you like to run all the way to New York City? How many of you would start lacing up your Nikes right now? Now, if I were to say, I'll give you $1 million to all who succeed, how many of you would now start stretching out your hamstrings? There we go. Got some takers. My own daughter, she's a good runner. She'll, she'll do that. Um, if you have a strong desire for $1 million, you will endure all kinds of suffering between here and the city. So too in our Christian lives. There is a desire of faith that produces endurance. There is a prize. There is a promise. There is a reward that was spoken of multiple times in our passage. What is it that is the desire of faith that God's people share? We see it in verse 16. But as it is, they desire a better country. <laughs> that is, a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared for them a city. Though God had promised Abraham and Sarah and Isaac and Jacob and Joseph this huge territory called the Promised Land to call home, ultimately their desire was for a far greater home. They desired a better country, that is, a heavenly one that God has prepared. Do you believe God has prepared a heavenly city to come? Do you believe that? That is our reward, that is our desire. When you look at Abraham and Sarah and their kids and their grandkids, they listened to God's word and they obeyed and they suffered as they endured. And yes, at times they looked like you and me. <laughs> they took matters into their own hands. They grew impatient. They had moments of uncertainty and doubts. 
and their lives looked like cooked spaghetti. And yet, God's word continued to correct and redirect and encourage them just as it does us today. And they endured. Because ultimately, their treasure was in heaven. Or better yet, their treasure is the new heaven and new earth that God is going to bring about at the end of the age. As we read in verse 10, for he, Abraham, was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. Do you long for that day? Is that what motivates you to endure in this challenging, stressful, trial-filled life? Now, the important point, though, is that though they believed God's promise, they did not sit idly on their hands just waiting. But we as Christians can be like that. Well, Jesus is coming soon, so I'll make myself a little nest and get as comfortable as possible, do my own little thing. No, the more you look forward to the city that has foundations, who designer and builder is God, the more you seek to live for God, not less. I like how C.S. Lewis put it. If you read history, you will find that the Christians who did, did most for the present world were precisely those who thought most of the next. It is since Christianity has largely ceased to think of the other world that they have become so ineffective in this. It's a challenging rebuke, is it not? But consider how fortunate we are today to have the New Testament scriptures. For in them, God has given us an even greater picture of the future that Christ will bring. Now, why would God give us these pictures, these glimpses into the future? Because he wants us to know his plans. He wants to captivate our hearts. He wants us to lay hold of his words and believe them. He wants our hearts to be inflamed with the reality that he is going to make all things new. That he's going to purge this world one day of all sin and sorrow and tears and shame. And he's going to resurrect his children in a, into a delightful, eternal existence. May this become more and more of our desire. May it be our true hope. May it create in us a conviction for things not seen. And may it enable us to endure by faith for God's glory. We looked at the definition, the necessity, and the desire. Now for the race of faith. The writer uses a metaphor of a race to describe our Christian life, and that shouldn't surprise us. Look at verses 1 and 2 of chapter 12. See how he challenges us. He begins with the word, therefore, right? Therefore, in light of, light of everything we just read in chapter 11. Therefore, since we're surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses, what is this great cloud of witnesses? Well, it's those who the author has just referred to, those who by faith believed God's word and lived with this great assurance 
for the things that they hoped for. The writer shows us the record of their lives as, as a witness in order to encourage us so that we, in turn, would cultivate endurance like theirs. Picture it this way. Say you've been training for a year for a triathlon. In your bedroom are the posters of all your triathlete heroes. I like no, no triathlete heroes, but they're there on your wall, right? And it's not the little kitty cat, just hang on. Okay, that's a cute one. You've followed a training regimen that they laid out for you, and now after a year, it's your turn to swim, cycle, and run. And as you do so, I'm sure you'll be reminded throughout the race of those heroes who've gone before you and how they endured and how they kept on going. They have borne witness as to how it can be done. And so you remind yourself, they did it, so too can I. So the writer likens our lives to a long race before us. And with this metaphor of a marathon race in our minds, he then exhorts us, he exhorts us, and urges us in two ways. First, lose, and then look. Lose and look. The first, the first exhortation is this. Lose some weight. Did you know that the gospel is, is, is like a weight loss plan? <laughs> okay, it's a little bit different sort. Long-distance runners shed every single unnecessary pound that they have. So to the Christian. Verse 1, let us lay aside every weight and the sin that clings so closely. Marathon runners carry no weight that isn't essential. So too you and me, except this is a spiritual marathon. So the writer has spiritual hindrances in mind, namely our sin. If we're to be commended for walking by faith, we must lay aside every weight. N.T. Wright makes this point. He says, far too many Christians try to run the race of Christian pilgrimage while carrying all kinds of heavy baggage, anxieties about trivial concerns, ambitions of self-advancement, resentments at other people, secret greed for the bodily appetites, and so on, end quote. See, if we would but examine ourselves, I think that we would all see that we have sin patterns that are unique to each and every one of us that don't just cling to us, but isn't it true we seem to cling to them? What is it in your life? Maybe you have a critical spirit. Maybe you're lazy, bitter, or self-righteous, or love money, or success, or the good life. Or maybe just wallow in self-pity. Whatever it is, the author is calling you to identify it, and by God's grace, lay it aside. Whatever it is, it is a heavy weight that is burdening you and hindering your race. Do you see it that way? It is only after we identify our sin that we begin to lay it aside 
and put it to death. And it's only then that the second exhortation you become a reality. We are to look. As we see in the second exhortation in these words, we see it in verses 1 and 2. And let us run with endurance the race that is set before us, looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. We must look to Jesus as we run this race that God has set before each of us. Why must we look to him? First, we look to him because he is our Lord. He is the one that said, follow after him, and he is alive. We are his body, the church, and he is our head. And listen, the race that is set before us is set by him for us. <laughs> and second, we also look to Jesus because when we allow him to lead us, he leads us into uncomfortable places for his glory. Remember the words of him to his disciples in Luke chapter 9, verse 23. And he said to all, if any would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross daily and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will save it. Listen, you can have confidence that you are living by faith when you find that the Lord has led you, listen, into circumstances that feel like death. But by God's grace, they produce godly joy and fruit. This is because walking by faith feels very much like you're denying yourself life. Walking by faith feels like you're losing your life. Walking by faith can feel like death which is why we must look to Jesus daily. And when we look to Jesus, what happens that allows us to endure? We see how our Savior endured for our sakes. And we see where he is right now in heaven at the right side of God interceding for us and continuing to care for us. Again, verse 2 in its fullness. Looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith. Listen, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. We look to Jesus who is our what? passage says, Jesus is the founder and perfecter of our faith. Now, with the word founder, have in mind like a pioneer who has gone before on our behalf. With the word perfecter, have in mind how in Christ, faith has lived in perfection. Jesus is the only person who has ever lived whose life wasn't a mess of cooked spaghetti. And at his death on the cross, his death has, his death has perfected us. For salvation. And the life that Jesus endured was by far, listen, his life was infinitely harder to endure than ours will or could ever be. Do you understand that? But our Lord endured, how? By faith. 
Remember when he hung on the cross? How people mocked Jesus. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him. Oh, how right they were. Jesus did trust in the Father. And did you see what Jesus was looking at that caused him to endure? He looked up to heaven to the glory that was promised him by his heavenly Father. To the thief on the cross next to Jesus, who eventually came to believe in Christ, where was it that Jesus said the thief would be later that day? Jesus said, today you will be with me in paradise. That is why the writer said that it was the joy that was set before Jesus that, that enabled him to endure the cross and all of its shame. My friends, so to us, we commit to taking up our crosses daily and following after Christ, and, and we find that this enduring is hard. It feels like death. And then we look to Christ. Listen, understand this. There is no other way to live as a Christian. This is how God's people have always lived, even in the Old Testament. This is what Moses did, right? He looked to Christ. Now, he didn't know all the details. He was still in the age of shadows in the Old Testament, but he knew that God had promised a Messiah. He knew that God would send him and that he would one day make all things right. And so when Moses was trying to leave Egypt with the nation in tow, he did not fear the Pharaoh king. Look what we read in verses 26 and 27. He, that's Moses, considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. Listen, by faith he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. He saw the Lord. Did you catch that? Moses cared for honoring Christ more than he cared for all the treasures of Egypt. He did not fear the king of Egypt, for he endured as seeing him who was invisible, just like us today. Oh, my friends, the, the way of endurance by faith has been and always will be by looking to him who is right now invisible. One day we will see him, but we cannot now. The lovely Lord Jesus, who lived and died for you, for your spaghetti mess of a life, he died that you may live. And we come alive as we live for him, which in many ways feels like death. But it's okay. No, in fact, it's delightful. Because great is our reward in heaven. And because we look to the one who lived and died and rose for us, we can die to self and rise and live in newness of life for him. And listen, the joy set before Jesus wasn't just the joy of getting his old life back, you know. His joy includes you and me with him in paradise. 
He came for you. And his joy before him was you and me being rescued and redeemed and given this promise of reward. How about that? Well, my friends, this morning we've embraced this important truth. It is by faith that we endure with hope. And our hope is certain. Eternal life in the age to come is ours in Christ Jesus by faith. And delight in this, by faith, Christian, listen, you are very pleasing to God. Oh, not that you don't still have those sins that cling to you, that you need to lay aside right now. And as you come forward for communion, you can do just that. But as you do, be reminded of the holy desire that God has planted firmly in your soul. Christian, it's true, right? You do desire a better country, a heavenly one, right? Which is why God is not ashamed to be called your God. For he has prepared for you a city whose foundations and designer and builder is God. Oh, that that day would come, right? I could take it today. How about you? You see, your greatest longing isn't for a new relationship or a cool career. Your greatest longing of your soul is for this city of God to come down in all its glory. And when it does, listen, faith will be replaced, be replaced with sight. See, understand this. Living by faith is for this fallen age. It's not for the age to come. You won't need faith on that day when Christ returns. But when heaven comes to earth and you've been raised from dead in glory, you will be swallowed up into eternal glory. And listen, all that is good, listen, it will forever grow in goodness from that day forward. And nothing will threaten this eternal reality, not even a foggy memory of a hard-cooked spaghetti life you once endured on earth. The Lord's Supper we're about to feast upon says, believe it, it's true. And it's coming to you who feed on Christ by faith. Let's pray. Father, we're thankful that by faith we have divine heavenly understanding that comes to us by your word, through the work of your spirit. And we're thankful that you have given us minds that can ponder and comprehend the infinite worth and glory of the age to come that Christ has given us. May we not settle for all the riches of Egypt here on earth. May we press on and endure, even through trials and hardships. May we let us lay aside every sin that hinders us so that we can live for your glory and honor, we pray. Amen.